and welcome to the Cigar Cast. I hope you hear this. <laughs> Your one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigars and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined by a man who's one step away from getting a John Muir quote tattooed on his ass, Mr. Shane Reeves. So we're, this is the second time we're starting the show, but I would really like to look smart and say, oh, yeah, I got Sequoia Forest named after. No, yeah. exactly. Who, <laughs> but I didn't know then who, who John Muir was, so I have to be honest of our listeners and let them know. <laughs> All over the Smoky, and I don't even know if the original quote was meant for the Smokies or the Rockies or the Appalachians or what, but... The, everywhere, all over Gatlinburg and East Tennessee, there's nothing but that quote, the mountains are calling and I must go, which I love because I, I am so at home in the mountains. I love it out there. It is funny to me, though. I, I, I've, I've known you're a fan of the outdoors by virtue of being a hunter and things, but I don't ever think of you going to the mountains for leisure. Like, that just surprises me that you would... Cause, and, and I say that having known you for a while, and now you're going twice in one year. It just su- surprises me a bit. Yeah, tw- twice in three months. Yeah. <laughs> well, one, my hunting season got ruined, and that kind of takes everything out for me, but that's okay, because I've one day I'll tell the story and, fig- and tell how I'm going to redo how I actually hunt. Yeah. I do think that would be an interesting topic. Yeah, I'll tell everybody about it someday. When, when little, it's less when, painful. Yeah, when the wounds are a little more scabbed over, they're still a little fresh. Yeah. Right at this very moment to be doing it. But yes, I am headed to Gatlinburg tomorrow. Well, I am just tickled for you. And you know what? By the way, i got to pull the show over. So, we ordered bear spray. And it came with bear spray and air horn. Now, um, say that you ordered bear spray and air horn. Would you give your wife the air horn or the bear spray in order to defend you from a bear? That's, (laughs) That's one of those questions that there's no right answer to. The odds of my wife... The odds of my wife taking into account wind direction, airflow, angle, my location, the odds of me getting hit with the bear spray are just about 20 to 1. And blowing my horn while the bear's eating my ass because I'm rolling around <laughs> on the ground covered in, I'm now, I'm now being served Cajun style to this particular <laughs> animal, are slim. But I got a little, bit of, a little bit of flack from the wife when I said, hey, honey, why don't you take the air horn? And all because, you know, bear bear spray is a serious deer deal. When you get ready to spray it, one you got to have a good idea of wind direction. Yeah, you don't want it blowing back on you. Two, you got to go know where the other person is that's going to be there with it. You got to know where you're going to hit the bear, how you're going to make. You know, I'd done all the work on this. Well, it, it, it's a lot like if you were carrying a sidearm. Right, you would have to, because it it requires the same level of care into knowing what's behind your target, being able to acquire a target quickly, and that I would say in your case, that's something you have a little bit more experience with. Absolutely. So rather than me being served Popeyes style to the to the local fauna, I'll be carrying the spray. She can have the horn for when we're in the mountains. Listen, just. A thought process. So when she listens to this, I'll get smacked for saying that. But anyway, well, keep keep it between the lines because you'll be heading on, heading home listening to this. I'm guessing. <laughs> but anyway, moving forward. All right. Well, let's talk about your cigar you've already lit. What are you smoking? Well, I was settling in. I expected that to be a long story. So this is the San Cristobal Revelation. Man, I love this cigar, and it's one. So. I may have mentioned this on the show last week or the week before, I don't remember, but I have a really hard time walking into the humidor here because they have a massive selection of A.J. Fernandez cigars. And left to my own devices, I would just smoke a different A.J. every week on the show. Right, and you could do that for about three months, five months. Three or four months, pretty easy. Yeah. And so I walked in there and I said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And there really wasn't a whole lot else that I really saw in there that I wanted. And and I haven't had one of these in a while. It's a Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper over Nicaraguan fillers. It's I'd put it in the medium full range, although closer to full than medium. 
I love that it's got just a whole lot of complexity, but it doesn't change much from stem to stern. You know, Derek was talking about that on the show last week about how, you know, he likes a, a pretty consistent flavor profile. And, and this does that, I think, very, very well. Um, it is a box press, but just ever so slightly so. Right. It's not a super, super tight, super sharp box. I think if you took this out of the box and just left it open on the shelf to to age for about six months, it would probably round out. Right. It'd probably round out with no problem whatsoever. So I'm going to smoke the Tatawahe Havana 6 Veroku. So this is the little brother to the Kajono. Kahuno? Kahonu. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Twelve times a charm. The, but the long and short of this cigar is this is an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and fillers. You give me Nicaraguan binder and fillers and you wrap that sucker up in an Ecuadorian wrapper and I'm always a fan. And the the Kahonu is their best blend to begin with, in yeah. my opinion. Well, the, the, ta- the I'll tell you, the Tattoo 10 has been hitting me just right lately. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was nearly as good as you thought it was. Tattoo 10 really, really made my day. Um, I'm a big fan of it. But let's go ahead and get into our first article, because this, this is a big one for me. This was one of the, my, the high points of my day was finding out about this particular... Have you already cut your check? No, I have not. So this is the SOT Global Movement School of Cigar Sommelier and Tobacconist. Now, that's just a great title to have. Well, what, maestro? Cigar Sommelier Tobacconist. Yeah, so, you know, I have been saying for a very long time that the cigar industry needs something like this. There's, you know, within within the um, you know, the wine community, the master sommeliers is is a title that holds a lot of weight, and it's been around for a while. And there are different levels of sommelier, and to actually achieve the level of master sommelier for wine requires years upon years of extensive training, experience, studying, testing. It's not it's not something that's easily achieved. And I do believe that tobacco in particular cigars have that same level of complexity and nuance that you could devise a program uh, of sort of mastering the art of tobacconism tobacology yeah. so i want so here's the the long and short of it so the certified cigar sommelier tobacconist ccst it's 240 bucks is the cost of the schooling which to me seems amply reasonable see yes it does seem reasonable which is why it's awful it should be if if it's going to mean something like by using the word sommelier, they are comparing this to a wine sommelier. So if you're if you want this to be taken seriously, it needs to come with some of the same sort of difficulty and and uh, prestige of that title. And I think it should be twenty four hundred dollars. Okay. Well, I'm sure they would not mind if you wanted to send them a check for twenty four hundred dollars in lieu of two hundred and forty to take their test. I'm sure they would happily accept the tip. My, my <laughs> the the point I'm I'm getting at is that I while I love the idea of this, I don't think it's going to be taken seriously. Well, so the three courses are cigar fundamentals, pairing school, and retail school. That's the three different courses in this. Now it said the. Um, final exams, 50 multiple choice questions, and it requires 90% to pass. 90% is a high bar. It is. Does that not assuade a little bit of your fears? Not even a little bit. Because, have you ever... Oh, great. I'm talking about a movie I like. Have you ever seen... This is, this is dangerous waters somebody, for somebody me. Somebody wake me. Yeah. There's a, there's a movie on Netflix, I think, called SOMM. S-O-M-M. Have you seen it? No. It's a documentary about these four individuals who've been working in the wine industry for over a decade each. 
and studying for their master song. And it's grueling and it's and it but it goes into how the test is orchestrated and there is a written portion of it but it's also practical and they're required to blind taste and identify wines so with with no guardrails they right. hand you a glass of wine and you have to be able to say what vineyard what grape what vintage what year you have to fully identify what that what bottle of wine that came out of with nothing but your eyes nose and mouth i think for me if if i'm if i'm going to call somebody a master tobacconist sommelier maestro whatever the title is i i can't remember i think there should be a blind tasting component to this. I think you should be able to correctly um, identify the recipe of a cigar and country of origin and possibly even the manufacturer or at the very least the factory. I feel that your standards are far too high for for this particular program. Then don't call it a sommelier. I feel like, well, sommelier is not owned by the wine industry at all. Obviously, if it was, they couldn't do this. I feel like the pretentiousness of that pretentiousness of the average wine snob probably far exceeds the pretentiousness of the average cigar snob. I think this is a fun thing. I think two hundred forty dollars is a fair price, and you know, you watch the videos, you take the tests, you learn some stuff. You have some fun. I don't think we... So here's the thing. I'm not going to put CCST on my um, resume when I try to get a job at, you know, Kroger or whatever. Right. I'm I'm not going to do that. I think this can be just simple and fun and just something cool. It can't... The idea of having, you know, a, a, a journeyman tobacconist and a master tobacconist and think like... Yes. Could there be levels to this that are varying degrees of pretentiousness? Certainly. Sommelier, the very definition, is a wine steward. This, so the fact that they use this term... And who's that from? The dictionary. The dictionary. Webster's? Do you want me... This is from Oxford. <laughs> okay, the Oxford English. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll check that out a little bit later. So... My point is they're obviously trying to play on the prestige of that designation. And I think you have to go like for like. Because there are going to be... If if there were such a thing as a tobacco, you know, equivalent to a master sommelier. Right. Then that would be something you'd want to put on a resume. Maybe, you know, going towards being a master blender or you know, an inventory specialist at one of those super elite, you know, exclusive clubs. I, I think there's, I, I just, I, I... Okay, but if you look at the Webster's, the Merriam-Webster's definition mm-hmm. of sommelier, a waiter in a restaurant who has charge of wines in their service, a e- wine steward. Either way, it still belies your early assertion that the wine industry doesn't own the term sommelier. They absolutely I do. I don't think they own the term sommelier. I think that the term sommelier could be expanded out. Well, it, we don't have to so rigidly adhere to the most um, rigorous definitions for it to still have value to the common man. The, 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 the occupation of sommelier can exist anywhere from the guy who curates the wine list in the restaurant all the way up to the master psalm and there's very but as a credential it means something and that's why i say if you're going to call it a certificate program like this one it has to mean something in my opinion knock yourselves out if you want to do it but i would like to see it be as rigorous and have the kind of weight that an actual wine sommelier does but answer me this so if you went to a cigar shop and everybody, every employee in that shop mm-hmm. had gone through this program. Would you not feel better about the cigar shop? No. Oh, I absolutely would. Because they don't really, because you... 
you well, talked about the like the curriculum yourself, and it's just it talks about pairing cigars with food, and I'm I'm assuming probably. Um, Cognac, rum, yeah, bourbon, that sort of thing. Okay, that's fine. But the rest of this is, you know, cigar anatomy. I would expect anyone working in a cigar shop to know that. What is a Calabra? I would expect everybody working in a cigar shop to know that. Well, none so, of the none of the curriculum really demonstrates an advanced fundamental knowledge of being able to put the right cigar in my hand. Because what a sommelier does in a restaurant is put the right wine in your hand for the meal you're about to have. So if this just said certified cigar tobacconist, you would be fine with it? I would be absolutely fine with it. So uh, you're, I'd, prob- you're, I'd your probably argument, take the course. Your argument revolves around the use of the word sommelier. It, it, yeah, more or less. Interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting hill to plant your flag on. I'm just, I'm, that I'm is, very interested to see that. That term has explicit meaning and, and pedigree behind it. Anything that knocks wine snobs down a notch or two is fine by me. I'm fine with dragging wine snobs through the mud. That really does not bother me because there's there's nothing worse than that guy that tells you what you should taste when you sm- when you have this wine or what the what the soil brings to it. There's nothing worse than that guy. But the thing is, you can be knowledgeable without being pretentious. I think you and I are a very good example of that. You know, I would put our cigar knowledge, for, for two guys who are not intrinsically connected to the industry, I'd put us up against anybody. So, oh, I'm sorry. Let but me let you but I feel up. like we do a really good job of not doing it in a pretentious way. So, you know, I think you can have advanced knowledge, and I think you can demonstrate and create a, a program that, that creates a credential for people that have demonstrated advanced cigar knowledge without necessarily having to be pretentious. Now, here's my question. So this CCST that you can put out there, does that is that registered somewhere officially, or is that just pulled out of the air? How does that work? So that's the other... Because, com- like, <laughs> like um, you know... Realtors will have CRA and MBA and MBA bro, you know, and yeah. realtors will have 2,000 of these little three-letter abbreviations on their card behind it just to look important. Right. So I'm, most of that stuff's just made up, ain't it? Well, so that is kind of my other complaint with this is that it's not accredited. It, there's no, you know, I can put PhD behind my name if I want to. You know, there's no one stopping me. But there, there are accreditations and there are regulations around the usage that kind of keep it from going too far. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I do agree that it's a little bit, um, a little bit fishy, to say the least, as far as being able to just kind of pull something like this out of it, left field and put CS or CCST. And what if, you know, and here's my other question. So the test is 50 multiple choice questions, and you got to have 90% to pass. Right. Do you think you and I could pass that test today without, with zero? Which, yes, yes, I do. Which brings me to the whole idea of, like, wine snobs and pretentiousness. For, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm guessing based on the, you know, just on the little blurb we have here, that basically if you're if you're the kind of guy who's telling people that you've got the CCST designation you're probably the tobacco equivalent the cigar equivalent of that wine stomp it'd be like show me anybody who calls themselves an aficionado and I'll show you a douchebag there's there's an air of that to it i'm really thinking i'm going to do this just so that i can talk more effectively about it because I watch, so if you click on the little link, it'll show you some of the te- the sample videos. And I watched the sample video on the Cigar Fundamentals, and it had a lot of good stuff in it. I, I cannot complain about the quality of their video. I really liked kind of what it had in it. So I think it would be interesting. I think it will be worth the $240 just if for no other reason than at the end of it to say, yes, Trey, I agree with you. This means nothing. Or at the end of it to say, no, I really got a lot out of this. I think I really got my $240 worth okay. out of this program. And Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Now, that does mean that, you know, I'm due to get new business cards print up anyway. 
It might say CCST on my new business card just for the hell of it. I mean, I I would not begrudge you for doing it. If, if you had it, go for it. I just, I guess, to boil it down, and we've spent way too much time on this, but I think to boil it down, my, my biggest complaint is I would like to see some type of of regulated professional designation within the industry that could set people with extensive knowledge apart from the rest of us. And I would, I was hoping that that's what this would be. And I just don't feel like it is. Well, it's a, it's a start and it's accessible and all at $2,400. Nobody's doing it at $2,400. And at, okay, the final exam, you're going to sit down and they're going to hand you a cigar and you're going to have to tell the origin and the factory and all that of the tobacco. It's just not realistic. See, this, I, that I would do. Because that's a challenge. And that would put you in the top tenth of a percent of cigar smokers in terms of your knowledge and your experience. And it would, it would mean something. It would, uh, just like sommelier and the different levels and the master sommelier classification in wine. There are, I think, less than 20 on the entire planet. And so... If you have that designation, you can have whatever job you want in the industry and you get ha- handsomely rewarded for it. And I, I would like, I, I think there would be an avenue or an inroads to creating something like that here. I can see that. I, can, I, I see your point, even if I don't agree with it. I like the fun and the ease of this. I like that I don't have to give up my day job in order to do this. And that it's also a program if I had a cigar shop and I wanted an employee to go through, you know, um, some cigar shops have employees that are there for years and years and years and don't know a lick more about cigars than they did the day they came in. Yeah, and I, and that's a different problem altogether. So I do like the the thought of this, but I, I think I may do it. I may try this. But okay, moving forward. So we've we've covered that enough. This is from Cigar Advisors, Stocking Stuffers, the Twelve Cigar Accessories of Christmas. Okay, folks, bear with me. This is the one we were supposed to do next, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. I, I forgot I had put them in order. Okay. Well, you, you, gave, you had a look on your face, so I wanted to be sure I hadn't skipped ahead. Nope. That was me. Um, I know this is a hack premise, folks. But I seen this list, and I said, okay, I've got I've to gotta bring this up. I've got to bring this list up just because of the vector tabletop lighter camping stove combo. Is this not hilarious? Is this not a brilliant? So what it is, um, if you're familiar with the Alec Bradley uh, tabletop lighter, I've always thought to myself, I think I could boil water with this lighter. I, it, it is the perfect all-around lighter. Well, everything except for the ignition. I don't like that it's not a single-hand ignition item. Fair enough. You have to have two hands to ignite and control it. But what Vector has done is they've actually created a stand to go around their tabletop lighter so you could use it as a cook stove. It has a long burn time between 60 and 90 minutes. So that's long enough to light your cigar in, make your... Um, how, long, how long do those little mountain mills take, those little dehydrated mills that you boil the water and dump in the pack just as long think, as it takes to boil water? I think about 10 minutes, 10 or 10 yeah, or 15 so minutes. You, so you theoretically could cook a couple of them on this thing. But I just think this is brilliant. I think this is hilarious and a great deal. Yeah, I, I think it is, too. And I, I do say, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. It's not as attractive as the burner, though. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit of the original form factor still demonstrated. But I do. it does make me think of the versatility. Part of me wants to go get one of these just-the-camp stove attachments and see if it'll fit around the burner I already have. Right. See if you can modify it to work on the the because the I've always compared the Alec Bradley one to a Bunsen burner. It's very similar to that, or like the old old style uh, gas stoves. Yeah, kind of that set. Okay, um, Vector Icon Three Prism. So I own a Vector Icon lighter. I love my Vector Icon lighter. Uh, my wife burnt herself of her vector icon for the second or third time this weekend. <laughs> um, but she had it open in her bag. Here's my only complaint. If you get one of these vector icons, have something to put it in. Because she had hers just laying in her bag, 
and it opened, and she touched it, and it set her bag on fire and burned her hand. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, it's a shame she doesn't have a nice Peter James case that her husband bought for her that she could keep that in. Um, oh, wait, she does. But anyway, aside from that. I'm staying over here. I don't want to get slapped by association for that one. I mean, but yes, the Vector Icon, love that lighter. I've had mine for a couple of years now. And when we first got them, I had the same concern you did. Does the electronic ignition wear out, malfunction? Have had no problem whatsoever with mine. And have hers, um, one of the guys here actually tore the lid off the wrong direction on one of hers and busted it. Mailed it to Vector, less than two weeks, lighter back and fixed. Just that quick. So, yeah, those are great. Um, So I was surprised by this list. And this is just how out of the game I've been so far this past year. But the Zycar 360 cutter, I never even heard about this. I had no idea this was a thing. I hadn't seen it. It looks amazing. It actually, you know what it reminds me of? The little thing that umpires carry in their pocket to keep track of balls and strikes and right. runs in, in baseball. But it's, it's a reverse cutter, you said. Yeah, so I've seen these at the show. I got to use one of these at the show when I was at the um, Zycar booth. So it's a reverse geared cutter. Standard cutter, you close it, and it's spring-loaded to pop open. This one is spring-loaded to close, and you see the, the finger holds on the top. That's where you roll it to open it, put your cigar in it, let that go, and that applies pressure to it. And then you can push it on to cut it. I think I there. need one of these. The problem is the size of them. I'm waiting for the next generation because right now they're gigantic. Well, so I'm looking at this because it does have a a hole at the bottom of the taper that it says is like a finger or a carabiner hole stabilizer. And I'm thinking this on a carabiner on your golf bag is what I'm thinking. Yeah, it wouldn't be bad. If you you played enough golf and smoked enough cigars while doing it that you needed a cutter designated for that, be worth it. See, I always kept a dedicated golf cigar cutter in my golf bag. If I played more golf, I I keep one in there, but it's just a little cheap one in case of emergencies. But if I played more golf than I needed that, but this right now in this iteration, it's too big. I mean, it's bigger than my Red Horse Knife Works cutter. Ooh, it's also $136. Yeah, which ain't terrible. I mean, I don't mind paying $150 for a quality cutter. No, I don't either. And especially because it's Zycar, you know, if it ever gets dull, you send it back, they sharpen it or replace it. So that's nice. But for it to be not quite as as, aerodynamic ergonomic as you would like, I I can see how that might be a little little high on the price point. But now I will tell you, Zycar has improved their punch. Have they? The punch now has a spike just barely out further than the punch part. So you can line it up? So you can line it up. You can poke a hole and know exactly where your cut's going to go. Also, then when you wheel it back in... It takes the cap with it. It takes the cap with it. You don't have that where you... Sometimes with my punch, I'll punch a cigar and pull it out, and the cap will still be there, and i got to take my fingernail and try to dig it off. It drives me nuts. Because with that Zycar punch, I've never had a complaint. I mean, it's 11 mil wide. It's huge. It's sharp as the day is long. I've always... So I guess you can improve upon a perfect design. So the leather travel humidor, you wanted to talk about that. You had took a look no, at that. I didn't really want to talk about it. I just thought it was gorgeous because it doesn't look like leather. It looks like stainless steel from the picture. It, it's, it's, you know, I've gotten tons of these two-finger cases and single-cigar humidor tubes and things like that over the years, ostrich leather or otherwise, and I just think they're terrible gifts. They They mean well, but... Even as a stocking stuffer, I I think when we think of stocking stuffers, we think of stuff that we're expecting to be thrown away, right? They're throwaway gifts. They're not real meaningful gifts. And I guess if you approach it from that perspective, it makes sense. But in general, these kinds of things, if I I wanted a two-finger case, I would buy the one I wanted. I, I, I don't want to get those kinds of gifts. Well, and let me tell you about the cigar tube. Avoid them. They, they don't keep humidity at all. Avoid them for the same reason that you don't learn to juggle juggling tennis balls. 
you learn how to juggle with bean bags. Because the success rate of people that learn how to juggle with bean bags and don't spend all night chasing the ball they drop is so much higher than the people that try to learn via tennis ball. Now, I know you you probably learned with chainsaws or flaming I, warthogs or I, something like that. I actually that. learned to juggle with baseballs. Baseballs. So, so you spent a lot of time... In the dugout. Uh, but That's you spent a, a lot of time chasing balls well, that you wouldn't have had to had you been utilizing beanbags. Had you just took three little beanbags, how much quicker would you have learned to juggle? You know, I, I learned in about the course of maybe two games. Because the, the, what, what caused me to learn to juggle, and you'll appreciate this, is that I played second base when I played Little League Baseball. And going up into, like, the teen leagues. Well, just so happened my coach's son also played second base. So guess where I ended up spending most of the game? So you were riding the pine. I was riding the pine. And with nothing else to do, I just started trying to figure out how to juggle. And over the course of, yeah, about a game and a half, I figured it out. Well, and the tube humidor, to, to not chase the rabbit too far in this, the tube humidor is the is whenever you set it down it's always trying to get away from you it's mm-hmm. always trying to roll away it's always trying to fall down in the crack it's always trying to do something that's not conducive round is not a great shape for these things no it's not, and, and it also goes you know there's always a hygrometer in the top of these and they're never accurate and they don't hold humidity they don't keep hum- humidity they're only as good as just a singular cigar tube or like a two finger case oh we're way over and the there, I just, I don't see the point. Yeah. Now, I will say, just to wrap this up, they also had the Zycar multi-tool scissors on there. I have given those as a Christmas gift before, and I stand by it. A couple of weeks ago, I was kind of complaining about my Red Horse Knife Works cutter, but it's clicked. And now my cuts are perfect with it, but it took me, it took, I bought, they bought it for me for my birthday last March. Mm. So it's taken me from March till November yeah. to master that cutter, but now I love it. You use it like scissors? Yeah. Now I use it like scissors. Now it works. So know that if you get the multi-tool scissors, little learning curve. Oh, yeah, for sure. There'll be some time involved in really mastering those that particular tool. And if you use the little loop that, that attaches to your key ring, make sure you take it off before you go to the airport or you'll never see it again. That's true. They probably have a lot of those in those they probably airport, do. airport discount bins. I know but, they have at least one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about doing some gift, some more gift giving, gift mm-hmm. giving for your wife. Everybody needs to hear this. I know somebody out there somewhere needs to hear this. Step and away from the vacuum. We're also going to talk about the beginning of the Cigar Aficionado Top 10 has been released, and we're going to touch on that. We'll be right back. The Cigar Coast is Cigar Coast. The Cigar, Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from the man affectionately known as the Platypus Whisperer, Mr. Trey Deadman. I'll take it. Hey, I had a thought today. All right. Why do we not have platypus hats? What? Okay, you, your greatest hat. So I'm I'm big been shopping hats lately. Oh, okay. You're talking to real hats. Yeah, my okay. my nice brown hat has finally lived its life. How long and, you? You've had that a while. Oh, I've had it 10 years. Yeah. And in that 10 years, it's been in the woods. It's been rained on. It's been stepped on. It's been, I mean, I cannot complain about the quality of this wool hat. But I was thinking to myself, you know, beaver hats. You know, I have a Stetson that's made of beaver. And beaver hats, and you get beaver because it's waterproof. And it's, it's a great material for it. This country was founded on beaver pelts. Right. The selling of beaver founded this country. And a and lot of societies. <laughs> still goes on to this day. <laughs> the oldest profession, I believe they call right. that. But a platypus has got to have those same qualities. Aren't platypi of the, the beaver family? I'm pretty sure they are. Well, I, I, would, I would imagine their hide is, is similar, but they're far less prolific than beavers are. Well, okay, but say I say I in my retirement with my CSST certification decided to open a platypus farm? Decided to start a platypus farm. 
And because, you know, okay, platypus, I mean, first you could sell the eggs. Right. Who wouldn't want a platypus egg? And also you've got that income stream. You've got, because, I mean, who would not want an egg of the only mammal that lays egg, platypus? Right. You've also got, they're, they're venomous. Right. They're spurs. Right. So you, you make your platypus hat and you put his own spurs on the hat. Okay. I don't know what you do with the bills. And I'm working on that. I had to figure out a, a practical use for the bills. Shovels. Shovels? Turn them inside out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just thinking a platypus farm may be the, the future, future industry of this country. I would be curious about that. I, I wonder, I feel like you could, is otter, I feel like an otter pelt would be similar to a beaver pelt in, your abil- in its waterproofness. Otters are much oilier than beavers. Beavers are not as oily as your otter or your mink. Okay. And uh, there's a lot. So you, when you come to waterproofing, you have chemical waterproofing, and then you have more natural waterproofing. And all, uh, and your beaver's going to fall under that more natural. Your otter, your mink, your Labrador, all those are going to be much more mineral based. Gotcha. And also, uh, but plat- I, I guess that's what I need. No, I need to. How, how oily is a platypus? <laughs> if, Use incognito mood before you Google that. You know, if I Google the oily platypus, I'm scared of what I'm going to see. <laughs> scared of what my Google is going to return to me. But anyway, I, so I called you a platypus whisperer just so I could bring up my ideal about platypus hats. That's. I was sitting here this morning. I was talking to Mark about that. I said, I wonder, have you ever heard of a platypus hat? He said, I've never even thought of a platypus hat. He said, it's never even my, occurred to me that there would be platypus hats. Well, my first thought when you talk about platypus hats was Perry the Platypus from Phineas and Ferb and right. the fedora. The fedora? Oh, that would be awesome, a fedora with these. And like I said, you know, you see the crocodile Dundee hats where they had the crocodile teeth around them. So you got the spur from the platypus on each side. I think it'd be a great hat. <laughs> oh, but All right, moving forward. So let's go back to... 14 thoughtful give, gift ideals. This is, this is from a new site. This is a new site I found. E- um, Entertainment Tonight Online? No. Uh, it was linked over from the Cigar Public website. Oh, okay. Cigar Public had linked this over. So I had, and I hadn't never seen Cigar Public till today. But last chance to shop. These thoughtful gifts your wife will love even if she already has everything. So, I don't really want to talk about the gifts they've pointed out here. Right. I do want to talk about getting your wife a gift in general. What does it say about me that I'm actually getting one of the gifts on this list this year, and it's the thing I'm most excited about? <laughs> Pajamas? <laughs> no, the Le Creuset Dutch Oven. Oh, okay. Well, so here's the thing. I think that as we establish the rules for getting your wife a gift, unless she has expressly pointed it out unless she has said and i'm and i mean this literally get me that for christmas no kitchen items so i'm gonna i'm gonna expand it just a little bit and say no practical items so whereas and painting with broad strokes but whereas men tend to like practical gifts you know, uh, a grill brush, a uh, cigar cutter, uh, w- whatever it is, something with practical purpose, pocket knife. By and large, a bad idea is to gift your wife anything with a practical purpose. Yeah, I think that's a fundamental difference in men and women, is men like practical gifts. Like the the Dutch oven. You know, I, I cook all the meals in our house, and I'm tickled to death about getting that. And it's probably not even that men like practical gifts and women like impractical gifts. It's that men and women's versions of what practical is are different. Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, longtime listeners to the show will know that I generally try to avoid these types of generalizations. But this is one that I, I, think, it, I think it also comes from the... Oftentimes, for, this is something that will help me do X better or will, more enjoyable or whatever, as opposed to receiving a gift and thinking, what's wrong with the way I do it now? Yeah, it's, it's a fundamental difference in the way our brains work. One's not better than the other. One's not worse. It's just a fundamental difference in the way our brains work. Now, this is more in your lane. One of the things they have on here is a bicycle. 
I believe it's tantamount to suicide to get your wife any piece of exercise equipment for Christmas. So, yes, this is, I would say, I would say a bicycle is a tread lightly um, kind of a gift. Because if you live somewhere like Florida and you already bike to the shops on the weekends and use it recreationally as opposed to for fitness purposes and it's an upgrade to something that's already well used, I think you're fine. If I buy my wife a bike for any reason, holiday, no holiday, whatever, uh, I will be getting divorce papers the next day. Right. She absolutely despises bicycles specifically. Not just any fitness equipment, but she does. She has no desire to ride a bike, ever. So the, so the most avid cyclist I know married... Second av- the, most avid. Oh yeah, second. My brother-in-law is the most avid. The second most avid cyclist I know married the woman who absolutely detests bicycles. Yes, I did. At all. That's, <laughs> we could delve into that, but without a licensed, if, trained professional on staff, I don't think I want to. If, to quote Ted Lasso, if that's a joke, I love it. If it's not, I can't wait to unpack that with you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into that. Um, so. Perfume cosmetics. I'm thinking no. That, per- that, perfume cosmetics to me would be a no. That that also feels like it's kind of dangerous. First of all, I, I for me personally, I don't get into the cologne, the scented stuff. It just doesn't, I, I don't like it. It gives me a headache. And I feel like, however, for the people that do appreciate that sort of thing, typically it, it, you kind of have your go-to. And, and that's, that's what you choose for the rest of your life. Like, I'm, I'm this scent person. So a gift is either going to be a different scent, in which case they're probably not going to like it because they've already figured theirs out, or it's going to be something they're planning on buying when theirs runs out anyway, so you're not really helping out with, by giving them a gift. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a no. Yeah. Now, let's talk technology. And all they have in here the Beats Fit Kim Kardashian wireless noise cancel. Okay, let's just say a good set of earbuds. Like, um, I wouldn't recommend these, but if you know, like my um, bone induction earphones that I use, the Aftershocks. Yeah, I've had them for three or four years. I love them because I can put them on to walk the dog. I can still hear traffic. I can still hear everything going on around me, but I can also hear my. Jimmy Buffett or my podcast or whatever I'm listening to while I walk. I think that is a great gift. I, I do think a good set of headphones, and, and if you're if you're an Apple user, you cannot go wrong with the AirPods or the AirPods Pro. I, I recently upgraded to the AirPods Pro, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit in front of you and God and everyone else that I really only upgraded because of the wireless charging. Because I have completely transformed the way I charge my devices in my house, and everything uses a wireless pad or a MagSafe pad or something like that, including my headphones now. But the sound quality out of those AirPods Pro is incredible. And for someone who can't hear, like, it's, it's masterful. And the noise cancellation is... is Oh, second to none. Second to none. The pair I have are the AirPods Pro. I love them. When we were flying back from Vegas, I put them in to watch my movie. I didn't have any of the background airplane noise. Have you noticed if you turn your head, the balance of the audio shifts directionally? I haven't noticed that, but I have no doubt. Next time next time you're watching something, turn your head all the way to the left and all the way to the right, and you'll hear the balance of the audio shift as if it's coming from your screen. It's, it's wild. So... Also good gift. Okay, so you'll have to tell me your opinion on this if your wife would go for this. Do you know what the big jacket they put on NFL players during winter games where they go back to the sideline and they put this big hooded jacket? Yeah. It's actually called a sideline cape. Okay. You can buy a sideline cape on Amazon for $99. I bought one. Love it. I bought it because it's perfect for... If I've already got my coveralls on or I want to wear lighter gear to the deer stand and then throw this over me once I get there, Glenda likes it because it's gigantic and it totally enwraps her up, covers her up. 
I think that's a that's a sleeper. That's one fellas could get for their wives. That I think they'd really enjoy. Uh, I'll go. I think that's a great option. I didn't know you could pick those up, and I'm not surprised you can. But one of the things that I had intended to get my wife last year, and it didn't. Anyway, um, you can buy a wearable sleeping bag. It's the same basic principle. If you have kids who are in sports that transition between seasons, like soccer, if spring soccer starts when it's still cold and fall soccer ends when it's already gotten bitter cold, football's the same way. If, if you and your wife spend a lot of time sitting out in the cold and if she's anything like my wife and runs cold anyway, it's, it's, a, it's ugly and it's silly, but it, it's the one practical gift I'd say it's, it's a winner. So I think comfort items, things to keep you warm, blankets, robes to a certain degree, but robes is you've tread lightly. Yeah. But anything that robe, comfort, a comfort item. Robes are a lot like underwear. You know what? I'm going to walk away from that analogy. I'm just going to let. Yeah, don't buy her the slinky robe. <laughs> you know, buy buy her a, a, a very practical well, robe. I was just going to say, if 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 it's somebody who already has a robe, they probably have the one in the style they like. Right. Yeah. If if I wear a robe, I feel like I'm just sitting around waiting to shoot a porno. Yeah. I I just I I don't see a purpose for a robe outside of that. But like the snuggie. There's a reason those things sell. Yeah. And also, I think comfort items, something definitely slippers. Can't go wrong with sleeper, slippers, but don't go cheap. Right. And don't go down, da- you know. And don't, don't let that be the only thing. That, right. The slippers are an add-on gift. Yeah, slippers are stocking stuffer, as we were talking about yeah. stocking stuffers earlier. And all. Now, the dumbest one on this, Winning Solutions Scrabble Maple Travel Game. So, uh, it will not surprise you that Scrabble is my board game of choice. And it happens to be my wife's, one of, one of her favorites as well. Much like Monopoly is the family fun time ruiner, Scrabble is a dangerous board game in our house. Yes. We both, you're talking to two people that every day after we finish the Wordle send to the other one how much I got it in. And it, it, it's a competition. Sure. So, but... There are, for sure, board game people out there, and I think gifted. Now, it, we, have we ever talked about the love languages on the show before? I yes. think everyone pretty well knows what that's all about. If quality of time is your wife's uh, love language, or even in her top two or three, something like this, where where the gift is time spent together, is always strong. Well. You have to eva- so, and you know quickly mm-hmm. if your wife is a game person or not. Right. If you and your wife can enjoy a game without the competitiveness of it ruining the game, then by all means go for it. But know that up front. And I'll, you know, my wife, my wife is she's a skip bow. Um, what do they call it? Um, Pinochle? No, skip but what what do they call it? Face ten. What do they call it when you're born naturally good at savant? Savant. She's a skip bow savant. Okay. If my wife and I play skip bow and I win one in twenty games, I've done great. See, that's me and my wife with Clue. I like to think I'm a fairly clever dude. I cannot win at Clue in my house. Yeah, it's it's my just fourteen year old daughter kicks my ass at Clue. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you're not as game. good at Clue as you think you yeah, are. <laughs> I, I know I'm not very good at Clue. <laughs> but you know, so board games, stuff like that, stuff for time spent. Yeah, that's good, but be careful, and that's tricky. And you know, to to wrap it up, comfort items are great. Nothing too practical. Don't get too geeky with the technology. Yeah. Don't get her the remote control. Nothing that you have to teach her how to use. Right. Don't get the remote control that controls the TV, the coffee pot, the microwave, will start her car and place an order at Kroger. That's a Valentine's gift. That's that's Valentine's (laughs) Day, obviously. And and so just kind of keep it on the up and up. I think your, your wife will appreciate that. 
But moving forward, so from Yahoo Life and Rob Report, a bespoke and bejeweled tabletop cigar lighter. So I seen these lighters at the show, and these were like the million dollar, three thousand dollar, eighty thousand dollar, hundred thousand dollar. Pick the number. Right. Any to me, any lighter over two hundred dollars. We have had no shortage of articles and topics on this show in the past few years talking about just this kind of thing: limited, super limited, bejeweled, bedazzled, exclusive, elaborate, poncy lighters that cost way too much money. I've had enough. Here's the deal, fellas. If you can't get a lighter that will put flame to tobacco for less than $150 that you like using, reevaluate. Yeah, I mean, how much... This kind of goes back to me to the wine snobbery topic from the first half of the show, which is just... I don't... Now, everyone has their own unique taste. You know, some people like gold-encrusted, bejeweled toilet seats. You know, whatever whatever it is. People have a certain style. If this fits your aesthetic and the way you like your things to look and you have the money and you can afford it, that's fine. That's great. But I think it too easily becomes a look at this thing that I paid way too much stupid amount of money for and ask me about it and, and be jealous. Well, it's kind of like, you know, my black horse knife works cutter. Some, I'll get it out and cut a cigar for somebody, and somebody will see it and say, oh, wow, that's really nice. I say, well, thank you. It's, you know, and I, I tell them it's titanium body, it's German bowler steel, it's well-made, magnetic clasps. It's a great, great cutter. No, don't you remember that's not a magnetic clasp. That's pressure fit. Mm, I think it's magnetic. It feels magnetic. He told us when we had him on the show that that's not magnetic. Ah, well, anyway. Um, but inevitably, somebody will ask, oh, what's one of those cost? And I'm really embarrassed to say. I really don't want to say what one of them costs. Well, that's why you say, well, it was a gift. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't pay this for it, but they retail for, what is it, 275 250 uh, Closer to $4. Oh, jeez. Uh, you know... My case, my um, mm-hmm. Peter James case that my cigar accessories stay in. Um, people all the time see it. Oh, wow, that's really nice. And I say, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I really have enjoyed it. I've had that one now for three years. It still looks brand spanking new. It's well cared for, but it's well, it's held up well. There's no, there's never a string comes loose right. in this case. This right. thing is built like a Sherman tank. Well, and also because it's so well built, like I, I, knowing how much they cost, they're not cheap. But if you paid a nickel for every time you touched it, you would have paid it off already. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like that's it, it's it's one of those heirloom pieces. Yeah, and the thing, the thing about it is that inevitably the question comes up: Well, what did that cost? But Peter James, and this is a a, a great tip for y'all. If you keep an eye on the Peter Peter James website, you'll find those on clearance for half off. Oh, wow. And you can pick up a Peter James case in that $200 range. That's not bad. So I'm always able to say, well, they cost about four, but if you keep an eye on the website... Now, I didn't catch it on clearance, but I'm kind of planting the seed that maybe I did. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, that, is that deception by omission? No, I don't think so. I mean... Well, because they're, they're not, a, no one ever asked what you paid. They ask what they cost, and those are those are two very different questions. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'm good with that. But enough with the expensive lighters. Yeah. Um, if you want, I'll till still stand by the Calibri Julius is the best lighter on the market. Second only to the the uh, Alec Bradley burner. If you want a tabletop. If you yes, if you want a tabletop, Alec Bradley burner. If you want. The handheld, everyday, everyday soft flame lighter, you will not beat the Calibri Julius. Yep. There's, and I've tried, I've tried the Zycar soft flame. I've tried a number of them, and it's just not as good. So, real quick, let's land this, um, land this plane. I'll give trade dealers choice. Do you want to talk about the ten, nine, and eight of the aficionado list, or do you want to talk about distribution of cigars? 
Um, let's talk about well the the top the top twenty five list is going to continue to grow. So let's we'll catch that next week. Let's talk about the uh, distribution. So this is interesting. This is from Cigar Public also, and the question is. Why are so many cigar brands making big distribution changes? So, most notably, I guess it would be La Aurora breaking away from Miami Cigar. Yeah, that happened earlier this year. Yeah, that's probably the biggest biggest company that's decided to do this. Of course, Luciano and A split ways with um, the distribution Crown Heads was handling for them. Luciano and Ace Prime got away from them. Uh, PDR is now making Hiram and Solomon cigars. Well, they're distributing. Well, no, actually, PDR is making them now for oh, them. Oh, are they? they? We're being made elsewhere. Now PDR is actually making them. They, they publicly moved their production to PDR. Oh, okay. So why does a cigar manufacturer move their distribution model, and how does it affect us as this consumer? Well, it's, it's, an, extra, it's an extra hand in the till. But I, it, it's a. There are a number of reasons why people can do it. You know, I'll, I'll, for a, a good example is I, I work in contact centers, call centers, and nearly every call center in every company who utilizes a call center in this country has their internal team, their their W two employees that work for them, and then almost every everyone will have at least one BPO or sort of third party that they contract to work the leads as if they work for this company, but they pay them usually less than they pay their in-house. They don't have to pay benefits. That comes through the other company if they get them. It becomes slightly cheaper labor, and it becomes scalable both up and down very, very quickly because no one likes, and especially if you're a publicly traded company, you don't want to be in the news for you know, having to hire a bunch of people or lay a bunch of people off, especially if you do the two things fairly close together. So it becomes a really good way to scale your production. And I think from a distribution model here, it's a similar kind of situation. If you're a younger brand and your focus is on marketing, getting your, your brand in front of people and, uh, and, and producing a quality product, then cultivating a sales staff is very expensive for a number of reasons and also requires... Uh, very specified knowledge and people to put the correct pieces in place. Whereas in the early stages, it become, if someone's already got the distribution network set up, they've already got reps, they've already got training, then it becomes an easy way to maybe take a little less for each cigar from a profit standpoint, but get it on numbers more quickly. So... Is this a function of, is it harder now to publicize your product because of the number of outlets out there, or is it easier now to publicize your product because you can target, say say someone wanted to promote their new cigar, yeah, and they called a, oh, I don't know, a local podcast, been around for five or six years, two guys that really know what they're doing, and say, hey... We'd like to send you a couple of cigars, and y'all try them, and let's see if we can come to an arrangement. Yeah. Whereas if during the break, an uh, ad comes on for our particular cigar. That's a very targeted piece of marketing, because you're advertising on a cigar podcast right. to cigar people. Right. And so is it easier now or harder now to, to launch a company like that? Well, when you say now... It, are, are you talking about within the last 10 years or because you know one of the things that's difficult for a new brand to get their name out is that is all of the restrictions around advertising for tobacco related products in this country and in in weird ways you know like even cigar shops don't have all of the opportunity or avenue to promote their business because of the fact that they're tobacco related and so I do think in some ways it's more difficult. Yes, social media has made it easier, but those things cost a lot of money. You know, to the more targeted you get, 
which and cigars being such a niche platform anyway, the more targeted you get, the more you have to cost, the more each impression they call it costs. And I think I think you're because this is a relationship business, I do think you speed up the process by using an existing rep network with good reputations with the pla- people that are going to be placing orders. Yeah, I think it speeds up the process. But, you know, you look in the the um, you know, the case of Luciano and Ace Prime and Crowned Heads. Um they had the distribution and then that kind of all went south fast. And I've never heard the whole story. Somebody's told me they have the whole story, and I haven't got to message him back yet and find out. But the when it goes south like that, does it damage the brand? I, I think it, it's really contingent upon how public that, that fiasco is. And, you know, but you can have issues with your in-house team you know, there was a cigar company not too long ago. I, I, I don't remember who it was, but essentially, like, half of their sales staff walked out because they were changing comp plans and doing all of this stuff and, and making it so that people didn't want to work for them anymore. So, you know, whether you manage it through a distributor, distributor or in-house, there are plenty of potential pitfalls and quagmires that have to be navigated. And I don't think you avoid those by going in-house. I think you just kind of change the the nature of it. So back to my question, easier now or harder now to do it on your own? I think harder now to do it on your own. You think the amount of information out there is so massive, it's harder to get ears on the product? Yeah, I do. Especially if if you're going to come out with a brand new cigar brand and you decide from the very beginning, we're going to distribute in-house. That means one of two things. That means either you have to spin up a network of reps who you have to train, you have to pay expenses, and you have to be willing to wait out the time, especially if you're bringing in new people that don't already have connections in the industry. You have to wait out the time it takes for them to build the relationship with the shop owners they'll be selling to. The Or the other out avenue is that you, as one of the owners... And Omar DeFrias of Fratello Cigars did this beautifully and perfectly. You, as the owner of the company, are on the road as much as you're awake. And you're, you're the rep for your brand in the early days. And it's grueling, and not everybody has that in them. Yeah, I think that's, you know, not everybody can be Padron. Mm-hmm. Padron does not need um, reps. They never have. But not everybody can be Padron. Right. Okay, so as we wrap this up, as we come to the end of the show, this week they'll be announcing, it's actually December 15th, that the number one cigar of the year comes out. Make your prediction. I wasn't prepared for that. I think... You know, I I do think that E.P. Carrillo probably is going to end up close to the top of the list like we talked about a couple weeks ago. The Allegiance, which is the third in the series, you have the Encore, the Pledge, and the Allegiance. Um, The E.P. Carrillo Allegiance, I think, definitely makes top five, possibly top three. I don't know if they make number one because I don't know if... if, I wonder how many people like us there are out there that are going to holler foul... Well, if I, a cigar like the Allegiance comes out at number one, you know, and I don't even, you know, the thing is, and it's like I said the other week, I think really what's happened is EP Carrillo has just found the palette for the judging board. I really don't think it's anything more nefarious because if you, because I, I started thinking about this after we recorded that episode, and I went and I picked up a couple of aficionados, and if you look at the ad placement for EP, they're not spending as much as a lot of other folks. Well, and I will say, don't get me wrong, the Encore was an excellent mm-hmm. cigar, and I do believe there is a realm where it deserves number one. Yeah, But I also, only if you eliminate Padron. Well, I also haven't really followed their ratings this year, because the, according to them, the way they do it is they look back at all the cigars they rated this year. Doesn't necessarily have to be a cigar that came out this year, 
and then the ones that were rated above a certain point all get thrown into a pool. I don't know enough about what's in that pool this year to be able to make uh, an informed guess on what might be at the top of that. Well, we'll talk about it next week. We'll do a wrap-up of what the top ten were, and we'll make our judgments. Um, One last question. Does the Blackened make the top ten? Top ten, no. Don't think it – I think it – most of the time, Drew Estate lands in the high teens. Now, was the was the Undercrown 10? That was last year. W- w- did it make the ratings last I year? I don't think it made the ratings last year. Okay. Because I, I know it came out last year, and that was our vote for Cigar of the Year last year. But I, I'm wondering if it made it into the ratings for last year, probably won't. But if, it, if it's in this year, I think it'll be a top 10 cigar. We'll rate the San Cristobal real quick. Cigar shop's filling up. We need to wrap this up. Six. Six all day. Six all day. Uh, Tatawahe Veronica, definitely a five and a half. Okay. About where all Tatawahe land on the upper end of the spectrum between somewhere between good and great. All right. Uh, Excellent cigar, excellent body. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not been overwhelming, which is something I really like. I like Mm. like that Tatawahe can just make a good cigar that doesn't have to totally dominate your palate. Right. They seem they seem to have the subtle end of cigar making down pat. Mm-hmm. Pete Johnson seems to really have subtlety down pat. But how do they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at Facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and info at the cigarcast.com. Well thank you for everybody for listening. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.